Coming up next, the bookening reads King Arthur. Everybody, welcome to the booketing. My name is Nathan, King Nathan of the Britons, the Pendragon, the Brits. Oh, Brittons. Brandon, you know we should make sure that our British li- listeners can understand oh. uh, what we're talking about in this episode. We're talking about Albion itself. Hello, oh, Dolly. Albion. El- who's Albion? Albion. Oh, Albion. 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 Oh, Albie, as we fondly call her in the old motherland. I don't know. I'm a pirate now. Apparently, I can't do my British accent anymore. Brits, Arr. Scots, and pirates all understood the podcast for a brief second there. We are very inclusive. Pulled it all into we, one. We are inclusive it. of Brits, Scots, and pirates. And no one else. My name is Nathan. I'm King Nathan, the Pendragon. We've got Sir Chastine mm. right there. Hey. And he's the one who breathes into his microphone all the time. He's yeah, yeah. If you hear, <laughs> you hear just, he's actually a horse. As far as things from King Arthur let lore go, he's a horse. I am Mr. Ed. <laughs> yes. Hey there, King he's Arthur. Just, a horse is a horse. <laughs> of course, of course. Brandon actually two coconuts just Brandon is smacking just together. The whole, you hear Brandon? That's actually what you hear. Everyone who's loved a context session before has just loved the sound of two coconuts being... (laughs) Just rattling away. Just rattling away, yes. (laughs) Two coconuts in Nathan's hands. Yep. (laughs) What what is academia if not two coconuts just rattling away? There's your t-shirt. That's right. What is academia if not just two coconuts rattling away? There's the t-shirt. Make it happen. That's a good t-shirt. Now, we actually have a friend and fan who I believe writes down quotes from every episode and he is going to he has told me send us a list of all the the quotable things when the time comes so i hope that we don't have to keep track of this stuff who so write it down the most quotable lines nathan who Are has you? the most quotable lines yeah in the booketing yeah what's the most quotable line in booketing history it's not christmas y'all right? it's not christmas y'all that's pretty good yes. yeah People don't like that. Terry finally writes the best t-shirt that we've ever had. Yes. I mean, we've only had two, but still. Yeah. (laughs) Probably the host's weight. So that thing was pretty good. A needle pulling thread. But that never turned into anything. That ever turned into a t-shirt. Well, it would just be a Sound of Music t-shirt, really. I mean, so a needle pulling thread. So Spear Danes and Days Gone By. One day it'll be a tattoo if I get my way right. Yes, it would. Yeah. If. Do you think anyone out there has a booketing tattoo? Do we have a fan with a tattoo? Mm. We should. Yeah, if you're someone out there that likes to make poor life choices, <laughs> then I highly encourage you <laughs> to get... We, we've got this great comic book art of the three of us, and I think you should get that tattoo. I, th- I think you should get the first chapter of War and Peace tattooed on your face. <laughs> right. In the shape of Brandon's head. Yeah. <laughs> it's It's not going to fit. <laughs> The first chapter of War and Peace? Is it long? Chapters. <laughs> yeah, I think it's got pretty short chapters. You didn't say get all of War and Peace. If so someone wants to get too small, it's just gonna look like it's all, you know, just the whole black the ink. whole chapter in your face, on your face in the shape of Brandon's head. Have you ever seen those little microscopic books? Like no. the the Bible and it's like the size of your thumb. Have you seen tattoos? What are you talking about, Nathan? I've actually never seen a tattoo. <laughs> What are we talking about? We're talking about King Arthur, King of the Brits. I've introduced Sir Chastine, mm-hmm. the knight. Stay away from my wife, Mr. Knight. You're not Lancelot. You're what's the innocent virgin guy that finds the <laughs> Sir Robin? <laughs> not Sir Percival. Robin. <laughs> he ran away. <laughs> I, no, the, 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 the goody two shoes. He finds the grail. Galahad. Galahad oh, found yeah. a grail, not Percival. Yeah, Percival's definitely not the guy. 
Yeah, no. no. Galahad. Like, probably Galahad. Why not? Yeah. I gave you the best night. I mean, Galahad yeah. is a baller night. I mean, yeah. I don't know. Who would you rather be? Nope. Lancelot. Sure, yeah, I'll be Lancelot. <laughs> mm, Lancelot. I just don't want you hitting on my wife, frankly. Yeah, I mean, that would yeah. be the, the other side of the fact that Lancelot's kind of the coolest knight. He'd- well, he's never actually portrayed as that cool of a I mean, they say he's a cool knight, but then anytime you see him in a movie, he's played by Richard Gere or some garbage like <laughs> That's that. That's right. So. Well, but Arthur is played by Sean Connery, so <laughs> well, I mean, I mean pick, just- pick your poison. I, I'll drink a it's pretty awesome King strong actually, chalice Harry. of Connery. <laughs> <laughs> the only thing I remember about that movie is some sort of Rube Goldberg contraption that you knights don't remember are, the like we're gonna be naked under a waterfall forever thing. I don't remember anyone. Isn't, I, I don't. Isn't that? I, pretty sure that's the thing. I never remember oh, any yeah. waterfall related nudity. That's just one of my rules. That's a good rule to have if you can manage it. Guys, look at this. I've got an actual Welsh. I've got five of these, but I didn't get them all down. <laughs> this is in Welsh. <laughs> this is the Mabinogian. Wait, why do you have five of them? Because they're all the different stories, branches of the Mabinogian. Oh, it's five volumes. It's not five of the same. Yeah, no, they're all different tales from this book. Early Welsh tradition where we have some of the earliest... Uh, references to King Arthur in this wonderful 100-page introduction. It talks all about Arthur's court. Uh, You have the abduction of Arthur's queen and a lot of the establishment of some of the early Welsh versions of Arthur, where we get some of our earliest instances of and references to him. Of course, as everyone knows, the Mabinogion was compiled in the 13th and 14th centuries, so therefore, There's a big question as to when these tales were written. They could have been early as, you know, the third or three three or four hundreds. Could have been as late as the 12 or 1300s and therefore influenced by another person we're going to talk about later today called Chrétien de Troyes. Isn't that a fun introduction, Nathan? That was the greatest introduction that's ever been in front of anything. I was going to give people a lot of uh, a flavor of the nerdy stuff that we're about to get into because I really like Arthur. People can't see this, but I'm about to prove how much I like Arthur. You guys know that I have Mallory already, and I already have my own version of Mallory, but I didn't get that down. But I have this, five of these. I have The Death of King Arthur. I have three Arthurian romances. Nice. I have the translated Mabinogion. I have Sir Gawain and the Green Knight. Three versions of it. I have a book that a good friend of uh, the, a patron of the podcast gave to me. Remember Yvain? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Then I also have Chrétien de Troyes. Some translations there as well. Quite a bit of Arthur on my shelf. So this is a little thing that I enjoy quite a bit. All right. Let's just a pause for our audience to finish clapping. Thank you. Thank you. No, no, no. They're not, they're not done yet. Oh. They can keep going. For 50 okay. minutes, if they want to, we can get our first episode just on this. <laughs> Listen, folks, you you did this. You brought us, you, you got our patron up to whatever amount. So we're doing King Arthur. We're going to do a deep dive over several episodes, maybe five or six. We'll, we'll see how many. But we're, we're going to talk a lot about King Arthur. You are going to learn so much. And it's going to start now with Brandon. You're going to take us how far through King Arthur lore today? We're going to try to get all the way up to Chrétien de Troyes, and we're going to read some excerpts from some other stuff, too. We might read some excerpts from the Mabignogian. We'll see. But also, I'm going to look up one thing real fast. Okay, as you do that, I will tell you, I will tell our audience that the reason Brandon's doing this is because he is the contextual Texan. He's from Texas, and he provides some much-needed context on the work in question in this in in this series, we are covering all of King Arthur. We're covering just King Arthur stories in general and the myths and the legends. And I don't know, Brent, maybe Brandon will even say something about the history of King Arthur. I'm curious to hear what he has to say. Like the actual king? Like the actual King Arthur. I mean, we can we can say a bit about that. That's actually where we'll start. The historic Arthur, there's... Some grounds for believing he was based on a real guy, but not much of any grounds. I mean, like even recently, I think back in the 1990s, I don't know if you guys remember this, but they found some sort of stone with Arthur written on it. 
Yeah. I, I and do there was some excitement. Yeah. Say what? I do, yeah, I do. I do vaguely remember yeah. that. Yeah. And there was some excitement about that. There's even a scholar who is li- still alive and around today who argues that Arthur is actually based on a real person. Some people say, yeah, maybe maybe he was based on Alfred, the guy who conquered all the Danes and kicked them out of England. That there are some influences there, but most of it appears to just be stories that were oral traditions passed down through Welsh and Breton origin. So, you know, you had the Romans who had invaded most of the world, and then when everything collapsed for them in the 400s, it left a lot of stuff in chaos. And so the Anglo-Saxons who were in England, some of their myths and legends began to come out and mix with the defeat of not just the Romans, but other invaders as well. And so all these influences would start to combine together into what we know as the earliest of the Arthur traditions. So two of the earliest sources as far as like the historical Arthur that we have would be what's called the Annales Cambriae, the Welsh Annals, and also this guy who even, I didn't realize this because last time I did a lot of research on Arthur, most people believe that Nannius, N-E-N-N-I-U-S, I think that's how you say his name, was a real guy. He wrote the Historia Britonum, but apparently now he is even questioned as to whether or not he was a real person. So... Hmm. A lot of these early um, origins of the actual historical Arthur are questioned. Why does and the record change? Is it because just because some scholar comes up with a new theory, or is it because more people they need new? more PhDs, Nathan? More people need more PhDs, yeah, and so they have to find new angles on old facts. And well, anyone so, who's striving for a PhD or on the cusp of a PhD is fat. Is what? That's true of everybody I know fat they're all fat yeah they're all really fat yeah they're just a bunch of whales okay where where were we the historic arthur so some the, one of the things that these early sources do have in common is a listing of a common battles that arthur was supposed to have fought especially this one battle called the battle of baden where according to i think it was nanius he was supposed to have killed 960 men nice. all on his own and so, could have been one of that, David's mighty men. Yeah, that's the Arthur. That's the could Arthur. Could have been one of the have. judges. Shamgar did it with, you know, a jawbone of a donkey or something like yeah, that. Yeah, I don't so. think Arthur did it with a jawbone of a donkey. But How many did men it. did he kill? Shamgar killed like 600 with a jawbone of a donkey. So, if you gave Shamgar a sword, I think he could probably get 900. How many? So, did you say Arthur made 900 exactly? 960. Oh, just kill 40 more guys. Come on, dude. I know. What a weakling. Yeah, like line up some of your own guys. If you're that close to a thousand, get a thousand, man. Get a thousand guys. Come <laughs> on. The source I'm reading here it says recent studies, however, question the reliability of this source. He <laughs> 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 probably didn't really kill 960 guys. As awesome as that is, I believe it. I believe he did. Yeah, I choose to believe it. I mean, why not? That's why awesome, not? dude. I'd follow that guy. And you write legends about him that lasted for thousands of years. Arthur's my king. Or a thousand mm. years or whatever. But, yeah. 960 years. We should start. At it. least. At least. You think we can get QAnon to get on board with Arthur's return? Yes. <laughs> I think we <laughs> can. Try something challenging, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. To think that we can resurrect Merlin and get Arthur to come back out of his easy. slumbers in. To what? suggest it is to... Do you guys think that C.S. Lewis is Q? I think it's about as likely as anything. I what mean, if his head is preserved somewhere just like it was in that hideous strength? Well, not like his head was, but like he <laughs> predicted in that hideous strength, but it was like in an ironic twist, he's the one who became the thing from that hideous strength. And now he's QAnon. He is Q. I mean, that's really disappointing <laughs> for what would happen to you. I thought so much more highly of Q. Yeah, no. Yeah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> that was. Can we, Good. yeah, no, uh, take that, that was the Lewis. book inning right there. <laughs> yeah, that was, yeah, I think we can cancel the show just because our work is done. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're dusting our hands. Not, Good job, Jake, drop. you have the most memorable quote of all time. Let's just call him C.S. Kewis from now on. C.S. Kewis. <laughs> yeah. I think mm. <laughs> The yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's this, is, this is really good. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah, you totally just 
Yeah. Sorry. Sorry, Jake. I had to, you had had to one up steal me. the crown yeah, from you. Thanks. Good job. Yeah. Yeah. You had such a memorable line there. I just thought, how can I top it? And there was only one way to top it. CSQS. CSQS. Nailed it. Nailed it. Well, I'm glad we had all that because there's not a whole lot to say about the historical <laughs> Arthur. Some people say he might be based on old Celtic deities. But some know, scholars doubt. But what we do know. Brandon, you need to like turn your mic down, man. You keep peeking out on us. Yeah, you're peeking out. Oh, sorry. Is it okay? If it's, it's too good, light, let me know. Yeah. Can you hear me still? Yeah, I'd I, like I can a little bit more of you. I'd also like a little bit more of Nathan, but you know, I'm half deaf, so. All right, I just turned it down. That's just down one notch now. Yeah, I think that's good. All right. Okay, but that all that to say, the scholars, they really don't know. I mean, you have the Annals Cambriae, and you have that other, what, what did I say it was called? The Historia Bretonum by Nennius. And those aren't really enough to either say yes or no. And one of the benefits to you know, people who are Arthur believers, you have believers. Is there an Arthur version of that? Arthur, Arthur, uh, Arthur Liebers. <laughs> that doesn't work. <laughs> Arthiebers. <laughs> I like Arthur Liebers. I think it's, it, what? it rolls off the tongue. Arthur Liebers. Ar- Arthur Liebers. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> I'm glad we're approaching this with the respect and dignity that this subject deserves. <laughs> oh, come on. We don't even know if the guy ever existed. But King Arthur would. deserves no respect. That's my hot take. <laughs> okay. Anyways, so <laughs> yeah, I like one of my, some of my favorite moments in the bookending are when I say something really stupid, and then Brandon tries to move past it as quickly just, as possible. Let's just, let's just, just move right on. Just, just blow past. <laughs> get, getting right back to the point. It's the Dark Ages, and so not a whole lot is... I mean, like even Beowulf, we have no clue who wrote that poem. We don't know a whole lot about it. We don't know if it was based on any historical sources. We do know that it was an epic, and that's about all we know. And so, like... It was Shakespeare. Say what? It was Shakespeare. I'm a Shakespeare truther. Yeah. AKA Sir Francis Bacon. I'm a Shakespeare. Um, (laughs) Shakespeare. Oi, Herschel, you're a Shakespeare. Sounds like some kind of Yiddish... Yeah, well, well, that was Yiddish. I don't know. I can't do a racist Jewish accent. Don't I'm sorry. Leave your house without your shakes, Lieber. Oh my <laughs> there goodness, you go. you guys! <laughs> I'm going home. Oh, we've all we have to all pack our bags now. We've been we done been canceled. Okay, can we just acknowledge we though, are that cruel, petty, and misogynistic? Yeah, no, um, that is true. Brandon gets the crown for the. What's that? Nothing. I didn't say anything. I think Brandon does get the crown for the greatest moment of the bookening when he said, don't leave your house without your Shakespeare, by the way. So. <laughs> oh, don't Put leave it on a t-shirt, guys. There's a t-shirt. Yeah, a little rabbi. <laughs> oh, my goodness. This is Arthur, guys. I'm going to go get a bottle of whiskey. I'll be back. So, yeah, the Dark Ages, and so, therefore, we don't know a lot about this Arthur. We don't know a lot about what was actually going on historically at the time because you had these historians and I did physical, you know, those questioning quotation marks when I said that because they had flights of fancy, just like who was the guy who wrote the history, the early histories of British Christian church at the time? Oh, that monk, what was his name? Anybody remember this guy's name? Monk that wrote Histories of the Church. Yeah, English, British histories. Well, Jake's the pastor. He would definitely know that. Yeah, right but I've got, the, I've got, I think maybe because we're in the booking, I have what popped into my head was Beetle the Bard, which is uh, Harry you're re- Actually, you're, re- you're really close. That's I why. Know. It's, ven- the, it's the venerable bead. Yeah, that's, that's, yeah. Yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't, Beetle the Bard popped into my head and then I couldn't, I couldn't. The guy who, past it, Charlemagne, yeah. eh, was a benefactor of and anyways yeah. but you know he he wrote a lot of those miracles and weird stuff into his histories of the church at the time and so historians took a lot of liberty with both hearsay and oral traditions and just making up their own flights of fancy so that it's really difficult to say with any sort of certainty whether or not he's based on any sort of real person the the strongest arguments I've heard say that, you know, there's some influence from Alfred on him, which I, I can see that for sure. I mean, sure. 
There's no question in my mind that Alfred's an influence in the stories. Yeah. I mean, you have a great king. Uh, Alfred is the great king that is sort of the prehistoric Christian great king. Like, yeah, that's it. That's it. There's no other real person we can point to in history for Arthur besides Alfred. Yep. Not nobody who's tacked like that you can grab a hold of. Right. The wisps and legends and other things like that. But if you're going to point historically to somebody, you can even take your Arthur of lore who predates Alfred or whatever. You're going to end up transposing Alfred onto that Arthur legend probably. Yeah. Yep. So following in that train of thought then, well, a few other things to talk about before we get to this guy. Because there is one really influential figure and his name is Joffrey of Monmouth. And he wrote the Historia Regum Britanniae, which is the history of the kings of Britain. And he wrote this. Let me get to the exact date so I'm not making things up here. While I'm doing that, I'm also trying to find... Wow, I did not realize there was that much Arthur in his book. There's a lot about Arthur. There's no way we're reading all... I was hoping we could just read all of the stuff he says about Arthur, but man, we're not doing that. Anyways... What was I going to give you? I just said his I was going to give you some. His date. No, I don't know. I quit distracting myself with other things. Do you guys want to spend uh, f- five hours reading Jeffrey of Monmouth? Sure. Thought no. you'd never ask. So Jeffrey of Monmouth, was, his dates are 1095 through 1155. He was a British cleric, and he's best known for his chronicles on the history of the kings of Britain. And we have Arthur, who makes an appearance there. So we'll get to him in just a minute. A couple other things to talk about are the early Celtic traditions that we know of today thanks to a book called the Mabinogian, or the Mabinogian. And its dates, it's kind of an un, of uncertain when it was actually completely written, the Mabinogian, but it was compiled from what scholars think mainly in the 12th and 13th century, with the most manuscripts being in the 1350s, 1400s, right around the time of Chaucer. But almost all of them believe, the scholars who are scholars of this sort of thing, scholars who are scholars of this sort of thing, isn't that a fun sentence, uh, that they're compiled from stories that are much older than that, like Beowulf time, maybe even older than Beowulf. What you get with the Mabinogian, or I keep saying Mabinogian, but it's a Mabinogian. I think I've got some Merovingian. Merovingian. What you get? From, yeah. What you get from the Mandalorian is? Can we just call it the Mandalorian? Yeah, I th- let's I th- call it the Mandalorian. Yeah, yeah. The author is Mando. Yeah. What we get from old Mando is uh, we get we get Arthur, and we get some of the early knights of his table. We get the name of his dad, Uther Pendragon, makes an appearance in this uh, collection of stories. We also get some variants on the Grail legend. Uh, you don't get Galahad. You do get someone who's a little bit like Percival, and Percival is, influ- is a part of the early Grail quest. He's one of the naive but not pure enough knights to get, which is why maybe I thought you wanted to call me Percival and not Galahad. I really appreciate you going with Galahad instead of Percival, Nathan. And he, his foil actually is Sir Gawain, or Sir Gawain. Who Sir Gawain's not necessarily a good guy because he's uh, related to Old Mordred and Martin Luther's agreeing with everything I say. I like it. So, <laughs> some variations on the uh, Grail legend that take place in the Mabinogian. You have, instead of the Grail, for example, at one place, you have a man's severed head on a plate. So, there are some fun, old, like dark Celtic. Martin Luther's disagreeing. He's just horrified by that thought or something. Yeah, he is. Well, it's true, Martin. It's true, I'm sorry, buddy, but the Welsh, they were kind of dark, and you get some of those old Welsh influences. Why this is important is because what you see with the Arthurian legend is that it gets mixed in early on with a lot of this sort of dark, druidic, Celtic undertone the world. This is fun we for our just, listeners, because they have We should just explain to the listeners. On. I don't know if you should. <laughs> you know what? Maybe I won't explain to the listeners. They may or may not have something to do with the Martin Luther bobblehead. 
May or may or may not. This is more like a test of my ability to just do context in the face of adverse conditions. And so I am going to persevere. I am the Marines of context. I am. You know what the name of that, that, I think the name of that test is the booking. (laughs) This is just all a big psychological exam for me. I lost my mind a long time ago and my friends are just trying to help me rediscover it. Now, Brandon, I'm paying attention. Look at me. I'm, I'm nodding. I'll just watch you, Nathan. I'll try not to watch the screen right above you, but it is tempting. I've been reading about Martin Luther and Erasmus. This is kind of something Martin Luther would do, too, to a scholar. He'd just be like, hey, look at me. You can't ignore me. Hey, look at me. Scholar, think you're all that? (laughs) Martin Luther bobblehead is a smug, smug bobblehead. Yeah. Uh, I mean, look at that expression. This is one of my favorite things that I own. (laughs) I'm glad you love it so much. He's my friend. He and I have been through some tough times together. So, (laughs) the point I was trying to make was that you have these old Celtic origins, and with the Celts you get this weird, dark stuff, this obsession with... um, I'm sorry, Brandon. I would be losing my mind if I were on the other side of that. That was kind of, that was fun. Our, our listeners loved it. Um, <laughs> so, I would have shut off the computer by now. It, it's, it's, it's great. Uh, that was fun. It, it added some spice and variety to what would otherwise have been a very dry recitation of the facts of the Mabinogian, which I'm sure nobody, and I said Mabinogian again. It's Mabinogian. Before we get a bad Mandalorian. review saying, he kept saying Mabignogian. Merovingian. <laughs> One <Yeah>. star. <laughs> One star. He kept adding a G. I can't help it that I can't speak. It's one of my problems of, from being a Texan. Sometimes my tongue gets tripped over yeah. the words I'm trying to say. Don't be statist. But, yeah, that's right. Texans should still be loved and respected. Anyways, so you have those influences. Another influence that you see with the early... Arthurian tells is a really fun story called The Fisher King. And this has some historical interest because another guy, remember how I can always find my way to modernism in every episode? Oh, no, really? <laughs> oh, because uh, T.S. Eliot. T.S. Eliot used The Fisher King as the basis of the wasteland. Right. So the Arthurian legend was influential there as well. But the legend of The Fisher King gets involved with the Grail because. In the Castle Perilous, also known as uh, Castle Carbonic, or Carbonic, however you would say it, with King Pelus in later variants of the story, you would have both the spear uh, that pierced Jesus' side, and you would also have the grail hidden in this castle, and then somebody comes across it. In the story of Balin and his brother, they come across it, and all sorts of destruction happens because of it. And he accidentally pierces King Pelus with the spear, and it wounds the king. And so then peace cannot be brought back to the land until the grail is brought back to the king. And this is part of what the grail quest is trying to do, is trying to bring peace back to the country because it's war-torn after the wounding of the king. And so the whole myth of the Fisher King is the king is wounded. And everything around his castle is turned into a wasteland until he is able to be healed. And so that's where T.S. Eliot would come up with the idea of the wasteland with the wounding and death, not death, but just the wounding of the king and then the loss of fertility because of his wounding in his surrounding countryside. But this would be heavily influential on the Arthurian cycle. So we have those sorts of Celtic myths. We have the myth of the. Fisher King, all these things, all these sort of Celtic and British traditions. So where do we then get the other half of the Arthur story that we all know and love, the romance, right? The knights and the ladies. Well, we don't get that until actually much later. First, we have to deal with this character called Geoffrey of Monmouth. And I don't know what we're going to read about from him. I don't know if we need to read anything, probably just a little excerpt, and the people get a taste of him, right? We have to have a taste at least, yes. We've got to get a taste. little taste. Just a little taste. So what, okay, well, let's, let's look here. You um, would have hated me as a high school student. Would I have? My, my best friend in high school 
was uh, someone who was always trying to make fun of me and bother me. This is what I did as a high school student, and then I got A's yeah. on all my tests, and everybody. Yeah, yeah you, you're actually quite a bit like this guy, Cody Evans. He went off to do great things with his life, too. Like um, me? <laughs> yeah, like you. <laughs> Unlike me. Look what I'm, look what I'm doing. Yeah. Let's see. So you have Arthur's conception and birth. Arthur is chosen king. Arthur, so what's fun with Jeffrey and Monmouth is you kind of see a coalescing of all these different traditions. And so with him, you get the stuff from the Mabinogi and you get the stuff from the early Ninius and from that other annals that I talked about. But he also starts to add some other uh, flavors to it, like we're going to see with Mallory. So that not only do we get like the historical Arthur in his book that's supposed to be the history of the kings of Britain, but we also get what most scholars definitely agree is just completely made up by Jeffrey. Right. And so a lot of the stuff that we, now think of as belonging to the Arthurian legend, for example, Arthur getting the sword Excalibur. Arthur's sword was mentioned in Mabignogian, but really the emphasis on it is first seen with Geoffrey. His conception and birth, the way that he's born with Uther and the whole treachery and trickery that happens there, Mordred's treachery, uh, Merlin in his entrance into the story, a lot of those things are either appear for the first time in Monmouth, or at least they're organized and sort of given the story structure that we would come to know later on in the Arthur legend. So he's extraordinarily important for the Arthurian history. In fact, he's so important that Arthurian legend, or the Arthurian myth is divided into pre-Galfridic and post-Galfridic. Pre-Galfridic meaning pre-Jeffrey of Monmouth, and post-Galfridic, meaning after Jeffrey of Monmouth. Why is the word Galfridic? I don't know, actually. <laughs> Let me look that up. <laughs> I f- well, you would ask that, wouldn't you? Let me make sure I'm correct about that. That's what everyone was wondering, Brandon. Maybe it's Joffridic. What if I'm wrong, Nathan? Wouldn't that be funny? Mal- Malmuthic. Malfridic. Merovingian. Mandalorian. Jack, this is where we first met. Yeah. I can't go on. My heart will go on. Okay. Jeffrey, so the history's effect, Galfridian, or Galfridic, yeah. Pre-Galfridian, so I was, at least I was right, but why Galfridian? This is just one note that I see here, so this person could just be completely making this up. Let me make sure that this is verified by somebody else. You should always do that. Don't just trust one source, Brandon. Good grief, you idiot. Oh, well, Google says pre-Galfridian Arthurian legends right there. Hmm. Yeah, it appears all over the place. So why is it Galfridian? I'm guessing Galf- uh, Galfris must be some sort of Latinate version of Geoffrey, right? I'm sure, I'm sure it has to do with his name, Galfridian. Anyways, when you hear, we'll find that out and we come back to later episodes of our Arthurian legend. Yep, right? found it. His name is Galf- Galfridus. Monument. It's just, yeah, it's another name. Okay. Well, there you go. Thank you, Nathan. Nathan is better at using uh, the internet than I am. So, just went to Wikipedia. Oh, well. I'm glad to know that Wikipedia backs up what I'm saying here. And hey, there's some evidence for people who think that I only ever use Wikipedia that that's not the case. It's not the case. Five stars, Brandon. Thank you. Yeah, so we were talking about Joffrey of Monmouth. This guy is an extremely important guy. So let's go back to some of his work. And you guys tell me, what what do you want to hear? What are our choices? Let's hear about Excalibur. You want to hear about Excalibur? Oh, yeah. I love it. I love the story of Excalibur. Okay. One of my favorite parts of Arthur Legend. I just like cool weapons, I think. Special, mystical, cool weapons are always fun. Let me find where I was. Arthurian passages. So here we go. What page was I on? Arthur excerpts from his life. Okay, Arthur gets this sword. So, well, that's from Mallory. So I don't think with him that you're going to get it from the Lady in the Lake, though, Nathan. I think that might be later with the French influences. That so makes sense. In, in his tradition, it's not actually Excalibur. It's called Caliburn. So you would get the French who would add the sort of Excalibur overtone to it. Sure. But here is someone speaking 
And here's a sword. So here we go. Also, Arthur himself, having put on a coat of mail suitable to the grandeur of so powerful a king, placed a golden helmet upon his head on which was engraven the figure of a dragon, and on his shoulders his shield called Prewen, upon which the picture of the Blessed Mary, Mother of God, was painted, in order to put him frequently in mind of her. Then girding on his caliburn, which was an excellent sword made in the Isle of Avalon, he graced his right hand with his lance named Ron. Arthur had a a lance called Ron? Yep. And so after this, having placed his men in order, he boldly attacked the Saxons, who were drawn out in the shape of a wedge, as their manner was. So no one escaped alive that felt the fury of his sword, neither did he give over the fury of his assault until he had, with his caliburn alone, killed 470 men. The Britons, seeing this, followed their leader in great multitudes and made slaughter on all sides, so that Colgren and Balduf, his brother, and many thousands more fell before them. But Keldrick, in his imminent danger of his men, betook himself to flight. So there you go. There's a little bit of Celeborn, a.k.a. Excalibur action going on there for you, Nathan. That's pretty cool. That's you like a, that? A lot of guys that he killed, yeah. Yeah. So I, I just want to throw in here, since I did pull up Wikipedia page, the Wikipedia page on Joffrey of Malmuth's history, the, there's this little section about how even his contemporaries were in no way, shape, or form impressed with the story. They were all kind of unconvinced by it. And there's this one guy who so, I think a fellow historian or something like this, yeah. recounts the experience of a man possessed by demons. If the evil spirits suppressed this man too much, the gospel of St. John was placed on his bosom when, like birds, they immediately vanished. But when the book was removed and the history of the Britons by Geoffrey was substituted in his place, the demons instantly reappeared in greater numbers and remained a longer time than usual on his body and on the book. Whoa. So he thought this book was so full of lies <laughs> that if you put it on someone... It attracted demons. <laughs> it attracted demons. <laughs> so. I mean, I've got demons all around me right now, so maybe that's one. Yeah, i got to no, get rid is, of this book. That, that is a problem. You probably People, take that off your you chest. Have- if you have demons that are just infesting your library, consider getting rid of your Jeffrey Monmouth book. It's our t-shirt. <laughs> we'll be like the, a really lame version of the Ghostbusters. <laughs> we go to people's houses we and we find... We'll collect volumes of Jeffrey Monmouth and burn them. Yeah. <laughs> no, he's got the original edition. We're going to have to face like what? Pandemonium. Oh, there's something really specific and strange. <laughs> <laughs> on your bookshelf <laughs> who are you gonna call the booketing booketing <laughs> we ain't afraid of no Joffrey of Malmuth so we need an e- so we got Egon is it Egon Ray and who's Bill Murray's character no what is Bill Murray's character name I mean we all know who I am I'm the nerdy guy right Harold Ramis yeah Egon who Venkman Peter Venkman. Oh, so it's yeah. a question as to who's, yeah, well, we can litigate this later. <laughs> Listener, you decide who. We know who I am. I'm easy. I it's think me nice and Jake me. are actually both Ernie Hudson. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> Whatever that guy's name is. I'll be Sigourney Weaver. <laughs> there you go. I'll be you Zool. Can be the, you can be the... Uh, the Pillsbury Doughboy. Yeah, I'll be the, yeah, the, I'll be the Pillsbury Doughboy. <laughs> He's not in there. Never yeah, and Brendan usually plays that character in every episode <laughs> and in life. But yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Did you see okay. that Stay Puft thing with Paul Rudd and the? There was a thing. Yeah, that was lame. Yeah. It was super lame. Yeah, it, it made like, me really. Everybody loved Grogu, so we're gonna have five thousand cute little baby Stay Puft marshmallow men. It was. The it was like the opposite of a, it, it. It made me actively go from "Huh, I wonder about this" to like I don't want to see this. It was yeah, it was too cynical. Yeah, it was too cynical. The cash grab. All right, Brandon. Yeah, Jeffrey of Monmouth's oh, yeah. book brought more demons to some dude. It brought lots of demons, but it also brought the Arthurian legend into England into more prominence. There would be a translation of it later on, so it was written in Latin. There was a translation of it into Middle English by Wace with the Roman de Bru. Let, let me make sure that it may have actually been translated into French with Wace. 
It was a loose and expanded translation, lines of Norman French. All right, this, so there we go. It was written French because I started. I looked at Roman de Bruyne. I'm like, there's no way that's Middle English. So yes, it was uh, <laughs> French. So I misspoke there, and that's actually important. Not that I misspoke, but that it was translated into Norman French because that's actually where we're headed next, which is over to Normandy and France, because with the expansion of Geoffrey of Monmouth's story with the Roman de Bru, other tells of King Arthur making its way into continental Europe through Europe's connection to England, because if anybody knows their history of England, you know that the Normans had a vested interest in England, and in 1066, the Normans actually conquered England through William the Conqueror, so that French influence directly entered into England and would actually then simmer and blow up occasionally and finally culminate in the Hundred Years' War throughout the 1300s and not actually be resolved until the War of the Roses. So, but anyways, so you had that sort of cross-pollination happening between England and France, and lo and behold, France got a hold of some of the Arthur stories, and they gave their French twist to it. And what do the French do better than love and chivalry? And that's what you got with the old French croissants. romance. And croissants. That's, croissants right. that's what they do better. Surrender. And they do they do croissants better. Yeah, all croissants. Yeah. And, and surrender. Escargo and surrender. Yes. Cheese. Meaning surrendering your heart to love. That's not and what we cheese. meant. We meant surrendering in battle like losers. You or surrendering your heart to love like a loser. Mm, yeah. You Maybe just being talking. a loser is the correct answer to that. Yeah. So so it came so with the French poets they I'm wrote a believer were, in the French. What they call French you, like, believe that French people so you like believe Lieber's they German exist. for love and my wife is Huguenot in heritage so Your wife she's what? Huguenot. Kind of French. Kind of. She's Huguenot. Boy, I've left my house without my French Lieber. <laughs> Classic. <laughs> Bringing it back. (laughs) (laughs) Um. Oh, man. This is the episode where we we coined that. What a great episode. Yeah, we're going to have that forever. (laughs) That's going to be one of those lines that sticks with us. I can almost guarantee that it will, Brandon. Nathan, is this episode 249? I think it is. Is it really? The Bookalarian is coming. Baba. What episode is the Bookalarian? Sir Gawain and the Green Knight is the Bookalarian. Wow. I wonder if the Green Knight will make an appearance on our Bookalarian. Ooh, he's going to cut his head off. Which of us is Gawain who will cut off the Green Knight's head? I will. Oh, wow. This is episode 249. I just verified while Jake was doing ASMR. Mm. (laughs) I've been wanting to know what that would sound like this entire time. I've had this cat hairbrush here <laughs> well you successfully figured it out jake <laughs> you did successfully um, figure it out jake are <laughs> listeners all having joyful brain spasm things yeah they're uh, like that <laughs> <laughs> mr ed again go on with the context wilbur oh, right. brandon i'm sorry Give me some steroids like that horse that may have gotten steroids. <laughs> Kentucky Derby. Yeah. yeah. Was, Get that jockey banned. That was a boring story. <laughs> was that boring, Nathan? Well, you know what there's nothing boring about? It's old Chrétien de Troyes. Yeah, he's kind of boring, actually. But anyways. Listen, there's it, nothing boring not about Chrétien de Troyes. There's nothing boring. Actually, Chrétien, I, that was, what am I talking about? I like Chrétien de Troyes. He's great. And he brought, he was one of the most famous of these French poets who were writing this romance tradition into the Arthurian legend. What the French romance brought to the Arthurian legend was kind of sidelining Arthur in favor of his cast of characters, a.k.a. the knights, and especially old Lancelot. Mm, Lancelot. They loved themselves some Lancelot, and they loved themselves some Guinevere. They also loved themselves some Tristan and Isolde. They loved themselves Ewain, things like that. And so those were the stories that they really 
told quite a few a bit about and was very influential in establishing these. And he wrote, I think, seven or eight uh, that were really influential. And he was writing at the end of like the 1200s. And so this is where it gets a little bit messy with the Mabinogion because scholars don't know if they don't know which came first, the Mabinogion or Chrétien de Troyes. Was the Mabinogion compiling the Welsh stories that influenced Chrétien de Troyes or was Chrétien de Troyes writing the stories that influenced the Mabinogion? Mm, It seems like the Mabinogion has deeper roots, but there are a lot of similarities between Chrétien's stories and the the Mabinogion's stories. Yes, the chicken and the egg. And Baby Yoda would have eaten those eggs. Genocide. Mando would have stopped him. He would have. Some of the time. The mad big glory gloppian. So anyways. And the terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. You know, it is is one of the age old questions. My daughter is, what is she, six weeks old? And just yesterday I was burping her and Mm. what should come out. But daddy, which came first? The Madologian or Cretan de Troyes? It's just an age old question. And then you're like, sweetheart, you mispronounced both of those. She's a baby. She's a, I, I let her have it. She's six weeks old. I thought it was pretty you good. to get on top of that, Nathan. You know what? I spanked her. If you were it's giving true. her a classical education, she would have been saying that by day one. My kids are classically educated people. I love classical education. What are we talking about? The Chrétien de Troyes. Chrétien de Troyes. Which came first? I mean, that's, and so would you guys like to hear some, I mean, Chrétien de Troyes would mainly like wrote. hit a small drum? Yeah, I would love it. Oh, poor Brandon. He Jake. This is the episode. This is like the most booketing episode we've done in a long time. (laughs) This is a very booketing episode. (laughs) This is a very booketing episode. But but Brandon wants to read from his thing. Let him read from his thing, Jake. Come on. (laughs) I'm just gonna pick a random page and whatever it is, we're gonna read. Okay. All right. And after the mass, my Lord Yvain was given bad news, thinking the time had come to leave and nothing would stop him. But it did not go as he wished. He said to his host, Lord, I shall leave you with your permission. And the Lord of the house answered, My friend, I cannot grant it. Not yet. And I have a reason. An exceedingly cruel and devilish rule prevails in this castle, and I am obliged to uphold it. I shall call two of my soldiers, great strapping fellows and strong, and right or wrong, you are obliged to fight them both. If you can fight them off and kill them, my daughter wants you as a husband. And this castle and all the hands and honors that go with it will be yours. Lord, said Yvain, it's not what I wish. God will not give her to me. She will stay with you, for she is beautiful enough and good and well-bred. The emperor of Germany would do well to win her. There you go. Was that fun? That was good stuff. That actually was good stuff. Great. Yeah, I'm glad I chose that. And so you can actually see here on the book that it is poetry. It's backwards for you guys, but still, this was written in verse. And that's because he would go... It wasn't backwards. It wasn't backwards? You could see Mm -hmm. it, right? I could read it. Oh, sweet. It looked backwards to me. But I guess that's because I would be flipped for you guys, but not for me. That's right. See how you can read sure on my microphone, but it's backwards on yours? Oh, yeah. Mm. You're very... See how Nathan's mole is on his left cheek in yours, but on his right cheek in his? What? (laughs) Yeah. And I can read Sharpie. I cannot. You're like a regular Sherlock Holmes. The real Sharpie is Jake. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's the Sharpie. The real Sharpie is Jake. I mean, that's that's all I got, guys. I mean, come on. So a little bit about Chrétien de Troyes. He, he was in the period that we would call the courtly history. And so the courtly tradition was on the rise in France. Eleanor of Aquitaine was married briefly to Louis, and then they got separated because they never uh, consummated the marriage, she said. And so she went off and she married old Henry II Mm. in England, and together they started the sort of courtly tradition in England as well. And uh, then they had a falling out because she wanted to kill Henry and have her sons Richard and John take the throne instead, you know, and so that wasn't maybe some good reasons to have a fight. But anyways... Good reasons to write a play. Yeah. 
Yeah, and the whole Archbishop of Canterbury gets involved and killed, murder in the cathedral, all that sort of stuff gets hap- happens around the same time. And uh, T.S. Eliot somehow finds his way back into this podcast. Somehow. Somehow. It's me. Hi, old T.S. How you doing? Hi, old T.S. Hi, no. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> Let's not bring those accusations into this podcast. What would the court be like? Well, they would all be singing songs of love and poetry in the court, and there would be the young knight praising the lady and going off to tournament fights for her on her behalf and saving the damsel and doing great feats of courage and all these things that we associate with the knights of Arthur. With Heath Ledger. With Heath Ledger, yep. Those things are all thanks to the French. And so what we see as we head into, drumroll, our first book of Arthurian legend that we're going to read, which is Sir Gawain and the Green Knight, translated by J.R. Tolkien. With that book, we're going to see some really weird Welsh sort of stuff. I mean, a guy's going to get his head cut off and he's going to stay alive. So there you're going to see the sort of Mabinogian roots that I've been talking about. But then we're also going to see the whole courtly French tradition. And so, you know, we'll just lay the foundation for it. And I think we'll go more into the actual details of what was involved with what did the courtly traditions look like and stuff as we read it. And we can talk more about it because then we'll actually see it in action. How does that sound? Sounds great. Because I think I'll make it easier. So we can talk about what was chivalry, what were the codes of the knights. How did the French get involved and what were, the, I mean, we know how they got involved, but what did that sort of French influence look like? In particular with that book, yeah, Eleanor of Aquitaine, she's a fascinating character and the whole way that that shaped English history, the English language would change actually, that's a fun fact. With Eleanor of Aquitaine going and marrying Henry and bringing the whole courtly traditions, not only did, not only was she a patron of Chrétien de Troyes and therefore heavily influential in the development of the Arthurian legend and the whole courtly chivalric mode to it, the whole questing idea, the whole turn, the importance of the tournament, the importance of the Lord and the lady and the knight owing his allegiance to the lady, all that stuff, you know, French influence. But the whole English language would change because you would have the Norman influence come over into England with the courts all speaking French at the time because, you know, that's just the way it would be. Everybody wanted to, it was kind of like the Russians speaking French in War and Peace, you know. Mm-hmm. Everybody wanted to be cultured and refined, and therefore, English was able to move eventually out of Middle English in the 1300s into Modern English, which paved the way for Shakespeare. So there we go. This is all intertwined. It all is connected. Everything is the Matrix. Everything is the Matrix. And I am Agent... Smith. Smith. Yes, I am Agent Smith. I am trying to be the virus that brings it all down. Right. Mr. I'm Alberson. Agent J. Nathan's Agent K. And Mr. Alberson. Yeah, I kind of. None of this Mr. ever Alberson. happened. My name is Nathan. Been doing that for 20 Wasn't, years. Um, there we go. That's all I've got. I mean, that gets us to up to where we want to be for next episode. And I think that's probably plenty of material, right? Yeah, plenty. So. I recommend that people watch a movie called The Lion in Winter, a 1968 historical drama featuring Peter O'Toole as King Henry II and Catherine Hepburn, of all people, as Eleanor of Aquitaine. Who plays Richard? Uh, Richard is, I believe, Anthony Hopkins in his first major yeah. film role. I mean, it's really, it's so all of this, like, you can't understand the Crusades and the sort of myth. And also, so the Catholic Church was also becoming very prominent during this period as well. And so a lot of the heavy Christian influences would mix in through the French with the, uh, this is kind of important to state, the Arthurian legend. So you would get the grail as it would be like Druidic influences in the early stuff. It would become the grail or the church would become very influential and the sort of weird Catholicism would get mixed in and actually pair just fine with the already weirdness of the Arthurian tale. And so... You know, it found a way, the Catholic Church, with its weirdness, found a way to fit in just nicely with all the Arthurian weirdness that already existed with Merlin and all that stuff. So it paired nicely. But Richard I with the Crusade, that's what I was going to say, is you really can't even understand like the whole pomp and circumstance that surrounded like the Crusades without really 
seeing the fact that Richard was raised in his mother's court, and he had all these Arthurian poets and stuff around him, making him have these grand visions of chivalry and death and honor and going off to fight in these wars to be like a knight, to be one of Arthur's knights, which would influence Richard to go off and tax England so that it had no money left so that he could go and wage his wars in the Crusades. So there you go. Some real-life political ramifications of these Arthurian uh, stories. And another great Sean Connery performance as Richard yes. the Lionhearted. When he comes back to save the day. In that wonderful movie. The best. Yeah, no, if you like historical dramas and you like movies where you kind of learn things, The Lion in Winter's really good. Cause, I thought you were going to say Robin Hood. Uh, oh, yeah, Robin Hood, <laughs> Prince of Thieves <laughs> is a wonderful movie. And you should definitely watch it. Her, her, her. We haven't, done, we haven't had Rickman show up on the podcast in a while. What is it? Your name is Brandon. Frailty, that, yes. Frailty, thy oh. name is Brandon. Frailty, that name is Brandon. Uh, yeah. Old uh, Eleanor of Aquitaine's pulling for Richard to be the king, and Henry is pulling for John to be the king, and there's lots of intrigue and skullduggery. Well, that's and... wrong, but yeah. Is that wrong? Henry didn't want either of his boys to be king. Oh, well, it's been a long time since I've seen the movie. He wanted to, he wanted to survive. I mean, hist- you're going to have historical stories that add things like that just to get some tension. Pretty sure that after Richard couldn't be king, she went ahead and decided to try John on first a try, and he didn't work out too well either. So she just, you know. <laughs> well, speaking of trying things, I could perfectly be wrong about that too, Nathan. I don't actually know. I feel humiliated, and I, I'm never going to speak on the booking again after this episode because we need to shout out our donors. You know what? Let's Yo! just <laughs> one big shout. Hey, hey. Yo, donors, what's up? Shouting you out. Uh, sorry. Let's just introduce our new donee. Or no, we're the donees. Let's introduce our new donor. I don't know why I made that it's introduce. Our donator. Yeah, let's uh, introduce our new donator. So last week, Brandon, you weren't here. We met Christopher the, the Flower Hulk. What? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we got... Yes, we did. Yeah. We've got a nice recent crop. John the Cosmic King of Chaos, Matthew the Mind Flayer, Annie, are you okay? Get your gun. Flight of the Valerie. <laughs> that one's good. <laughs> yeah, no, I love Annie, are you okay? Get your gun. Uh, that's 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 one of the best donor shout out names. Uh, right up there with Thor Ragna Josh <laughs> and Stephen dot 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 and a peg- <laughs> <laughs> I love Stephen dot dot dot. That's I, great. I love all of our donor children. Hey, we're wonderful. We're really good at this. We are really good at this and. Peglodon, of course, and then Christopher the Flower Hulk. And <laughs> Christopher the Flower Hulk. We have a new... Why Christopher the Flower Hulk? Do you guys have a there reason? Were, there were reasons. And there's always reasons, but if you think we remember those reasons, then you... You're sadly mistaken. <laughs> you need to listen to the program, my friend. Let's talk about our new donor, though, our new donator, Crystal. Welcome, Crystal. Welcome, Crystal. Welcome. Yeah, welcome. Sorry. And glad you're here. <laughs> glad you're here too, Christopher the Flower Hulk. I don't think I got to say that because I wasn't here. Brandon, these are people who want you to be paid because if we get to 2K. Oh, yeah, that's right. You people are particularly signing up for that. So, especially fond of you, Crystal. Hi. And you too, Christopher the Flower Hulk. What is Crystal's name? Clear as Claritin. Claritin? Ah, she deserves better than that. Crystal Claritin. Um, <laughs> crystal crystal Sweet Persuasion? Well, the Lady of the Lake is probably in a crystal clear pond. Crystal of the Lake? Lady of the Crystal Lake? Lady of the Crystal Lake's not bad. That's kind of good. You know, let's, like let's try it on for size. Lady of the Crystal Lake. The Lady of the Crystal Lake. Yeah, we'll the see. Lady of the Crystal Lake. Lady That's of the Crystal good. Lake. We'll see if we like it. It's pretty elegant. Yeah. The Lady of the Crystal Lake. And the la- and it's different. It's such a change of pace from what we normally do. Yep. And the Lady of the Crystal Lake. I like that. Yeah, I like that. Uh, Lady of the Crystal Lake. Okay. Well, there you go. We have Christopher the Flower Hulk and the equally elegant Lady of the Crystal Lake. I love it. Dracula. <laughs> 
Like Frankenstein. Yeah, there we go. Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> hey it's Fat Alplane. <laughs> hey, guys. Thought I... Just flying through. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Goodbye, Fat Alplane. <laughs> I'm glad he made an appearance. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. Uh, and yeah, we're going uh, to do our Arthurian baggage. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about that next time. Yeah. Okay. Well, thanks for listening to the show, folks. This was the most booking episode in a while, as somebody had rather said. I feel like we've I had a lot of for that. booking. Jake apologizes, though. And next week, pure, cold, hard fact. Yes. There's so many facts. Lots of and facts. zero fun. Zero fun. Yeah. Don't come to this podcast for fun. Nope. People. One star. For all your rollicking hilarity, you go to 99% Invisible. That's the podcast for you. <laughs> We're just cold, hard facts. <laughs> I really love... Let me come on and review the show <laughs> and complain about the nature of the show. Here's an idea. Go find a different show that's not the show. Yeah, maybe you just don't like the show. Yeah. What was the name of the thing that the rabbi left at home? It's Shake Sleeper. It's Shake Sleeper. <laughs> <laughs> so everybody, tomorrow when you're leaving your house, remember your Shake Sleepers. Yeah, do not. You do not want to leave your Shake Sleeper at home. And have a good day. I saw his face. Now I'm a Shake's Lieber. Not a trace of doubt in my mind. I'm in love. Ooh, Ooh. I'm a Shake's Lieber. I couldn't right. Lieber if I shook. I don't know. All right. Goodbye, Shake's Liebers. Can that be the name of our fans from now on? No. The Shake's no. Liebers? No. They deserve better. Book Sleepers. Booking and Liebers. The Booking the Booking Booking Liebers. Book of Liebers. What I have my Book of Lieber. I left my Shakes Lieber at home. Book of Liebers. Book of Liebers. Book of Liebers. Book of Liebers, not bad. All right. Goodbye, folks. Goodbye, Brandon. Goodbye. Goodbye, Jake. Goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.